Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, the 25th. We've mentioned before that most all of these uh, Proverbs, you can either take one or sometimes two or three verses are coupled together to preach a whole lesson or bring a whole message or even a sermon on. And so it's a series of small sermons that we run across as we study Proverbs. And it's really good because even though the subject matter changes from maybe a couple of verses at a time or one verse at a time, you still have a very good subject to deal with and it's something most of us need to, to bring to our minds is how to deal with situations in life. And this chapter has to do with dealing with people. And this is various kinds of people. Kings, leaders, uh, even fools. <laughs> we were talk how to deal with them. But uh, as we read these Proverbs, keep that in mind. It has to do with dealing with people. In verse 1 it says, These are also Proverbs of Solomon, which uh, the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. The scribes during Hezekiah's reign had copied these into the record that we have. And it says in verse 2 and 3, we'll couple some of these verses together. <clears throat> it says in verse 2 and 3, It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out the matter. The heaven for height and the earth for depth and the heart of kings is unsearchable. So we see here that uh, God is unsearchable and God is awesome when we're speaking of God and then we're, when we're speaking of his dealings with kings. In verse 4 and 5, we find it says, Take away the dross from the silver and there shall come forth a vessel for finer. For the finer, take away the wicked from before the king, and his throne shall be established in righteousness. So here's advice to leaders, especially to kings. The wicked have to be removed before there is any establishment of righteousness. And, uh, you know, if we bring that today and apply it to our government, we'd have some problems, wouldn't we? To remove the wickedness that's round about them. In fact, remove evil men from the king's court, so to speak. Remove men, evil men from legislation. Remove evil men from uh, all kinds of parts in our government. And then we would have a better kind of government. So it does make a difference what kind of people we vote for. And by the way, uh, Tuesday is election day, so you just vote your conscience. And you, you search your conscience and say, I want to vote for the man that I believe is the best one in the sight of God and will do the right things in the sight of God. And that may be Democrat, Republican, or otherwise. And whatever you do is up to you to ask God for your guidance. I'm not uh, smart enough to try to give you any advice in that matter. But I am saying this, that eventually we want God's will to be done. And sometimes we don't even know what's best. We do our best, but we just trust Him to give us the right, right uh, ones in our mind and heart when we go. All right. Uh, in verse uh, 6, it says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For, for better it is that, thou, that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom, whom thine eyes have seen. In other words, here you're to put yourself in an humble place. You're not to be... Uh, let me say this way, uh, take a proudly intrusion into the king's presence 
because you may not be, have been invited in there. In other words, that's one party you don't want to crash, isn't it? If you'll remember Esther, she was told to go in before the king. And remember, she was hesitant. She says, you know, no one goes in before the king that's not invited. And uh, if he doesn't hold out his scepter, well, you're, you may be in trouble. Let me read in the book of Esther, chapter chapter 4 of Esther, and verse um, 10. Let's read. Again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him a commandment unto Mordecai. And it says, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come into the king, into the inner court, who is not called, who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come into the king's and to the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Esther said, I haven't been called to come in. I can't intrude into the king's presence. Then Mordecai commanded uh, to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold, holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. By the way, this shows us that if we don't do our job and take our chances, when we have opportunity, even in spite of the danger, that God will send another deliverer. He'll send someone to take our place. And they'll do the job if we won't do it. We're not indispensable, none of us. And it says, uh, uh, Deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth, who knoweth, he's saying to Esther, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You may be chosen for this very special time to do something that may put your life at risk. And that's exactly where Esther was at this time. She was chosen to do something that uh, put her life at risk, and yet she was faithful enough to take that chance. Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present at Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days and night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise and so will I go unto the king which is not according to the law and if I perish, I perish. She's willing to take the chance. But our lesson in Proverbs says that we're not to it says, Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. So we're not to be proudly intruding into the king's presence. Now then, let's notice something else. In verse 8 it says, Go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put, to thee, put thee to shame. In other words, you're not to go in and strive just over any, any matter. It says, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another, lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. We need to have directness and discuss the matter with our own neighbor, unless someone else starts uh, gossiping and brings some problems into the matter that does not uh, belong there. Look at this. Let's read it again carefully. Lest he that heareth it put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. Verse 9, Debate not thy, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover not a secret to another. You know, sometimes one's motives in spreading a story 
is seldom as pure as he pretends it to be. So we better bring everything out into the open when we're discussing anything with our neighbor. If you just uh, give one side of the story, you're liable to end up with, with more trouble than you know what to do with. But if you hear both sides of the story, it gives us a sense of reason. And sometimes we're so prejudiced that we only hear the one side. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. Go to his face and discuss it. Have directness. And discover not thy secret to another. If another gets hold of it, lest he heareth it and put thee to shame. If he can gossip about it and tell a lot of things that are not true, then you might be in in trouble. And thine infamy turn not away. Look in verse uh, 11. It says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. A faithful word in season. Think about a word fitly spoken. A word spoken at the right time. A word spoken at, at, in the right spirit. A word spoken with the right attitude. A word spoken with sincerity and truth. A word spoken from your heart to someone in the time that it's needed to be spoken. At the very moment that it needs to be. It's like apples of gold in pictures of silver. Whether it be apples of gold real or in a picture on the wall, it has its effect upon people. And so let's speak the fit word. The fit word is to be spoken. Uh, a word fitly spoken. It's not only a fit word, but it's fitly spoken. So it's the way it's said. Have you ever heard people say, it's not what he said, it's the way he said it. And sometimes that's true with what we say. We may say something that's perfectly true in such a way that brings reproach or rebuke to someone which we didn't intend because we didn't speak it with the right way in the right way uh, when we think of words fitly spoken i think i always almost always think of the little maid in haman's presence not in haman's but in naaman's presence remember when he had the leprosy and says my lord if he knew that there was a man down there a man of god and go down there he would heal him of his leprosy and you know the word got back to Naaman and everything was arranged and Naaman tried to interfere in the matter and uh, his his boss tried to interfere and say, well, we'll just pay him off. We'll get that preacher to do this and everything will be fixed up. Preachers can't be bought. A lot of them can't. I uh, hope <laughs> some can. But, but uh, I'll tell you, if you're the right kind of preacher, you're not paid for and people don't buy you out and get you to change your message and your ministry just because of their little uh, idea of what you ought to be doing that you're not doing or something that you've done that you ought not have done. So don't sell out. And uh, anyway, that's what, you know, if you remember the story, Naaman and uh, the ones that were sending him, his authorities thought that they could go down there and just buy Naaman's healing of his leprosy. And it didn't work that way. And when he came on down to Elisha, Elisha you know what he said? He, he sent his servant out there. And Naaman said, well, I thought surely he would come out and lay his hand on the place or move his hand about or what and do some kind of thing and, and pronounce me healed. He thought he'd come out and say, now, you know, whatever. And he didn't expect him to send his servant out. When God does something, if He doesn't do it like we think that it ought to be done, don't question it anyway. He may have other means and ways of doing it. You know, He's got other people He uses. 
So he sent the servant out and he said, the servant told him, he says, uh, the man of God said for you, go down and wash in Jordan. Dip yourself in Jordan seven times. And Naaman said, well, I got rivers better up where I came from than that. And they're not so dirty as that Jordan. Aren't they clear and pure water to dip myself in? Why should I go and do this? <laughs> His servant said, well, you know, master, if he had said for you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And so finally he decided, well, maybe I better try this. So he went down. You know, this was very humiliating. I don't know what got me off on that story, do you? But anyway, he went down once. Can you imagine every time old Naaman, proud Naaman, went down that water? And he went down twice and he thought, well, I better give this up. Kept on doing it. And the seventh time his flesh was as pure and clean as an infant. God cleansed him, healed him of his leprosy. But you know, sometimes we're... We're too proud to do that simple thing. But we ought to speak a fit word. And the word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And look at verse 12. As an earring, as an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. You know what you hear here? You see the value of good counsel. A wise reprover upon an obedient ear. If if you reprove someone that will obey or take advantage of that reproof, and you don't have to do it in a belligerent way. Reproving, the Bible says, uh, for us to do exactly that. Paul told Timothy, he says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove and rebuke, but how? With all long suffering. And doctrine. You can rebuke with long suffering. And what? Doctrine. That doctrine is teaching in the way that you rebuke. And that's what it's saying here. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. In other words, here you see the value, the great value of good counsel. Let's notice the next verse. It says, as the cold of snow in the time of harvest, so is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. A faithful messenger is likewise refreshing as that water, and as the cold of snow in the time of harvest. So is a faithful messenger to them that send him, for he refresheth the soul of his masters. Look at verse 14. Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. You know, you have a lot of people that are big talkers, don't they? I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Notice it says, he boasteth of a false gift. That means he promises, but he does nothing about it. He promises a gift, but he never gives it. Have you ever seen people promise, I'm going to give the church this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to give a big offering, and I'm going to help do this. And you keep questioning your mind, when are they going to do that? Really, are they going to do that? And when they say it about 10, 15 times, you begin to think, well, I don't know if they're going to or not. And sure enough, see, it's a big boaster. Look at it. It says, whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Have you ever seen the clouds come up? And you think, boy, it's really going to rain? And the wind just blow them away and then just... Scattered all over and nothing happens. They're dry. No rain. Nothing happened. 
Jude refers to that, doesn't he? The book of Jude. Let me read the book of Jude. If you want to turn. Jude and Revelation. In verse uh, 12 of the book of Jude. By the way, this is the last chapter of Jude. It's also the first chapter of Jude. It's also the middle of it. But it's verse 12 anyway. Because there's only one. You heard the story about this old guy said, you know, that guy's the best barber in town. You know why, don't you? He was the only barber in town. Well, this verse shows us in the book of Jude, verse 12, it says, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Now look, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So in verse 12 it says, carried about of winds, clouds that are without water. Same thing Proverbs is talking about of a boaster. Whoso boasteth himself, back in our Proverbs, verse 14, 25 verse 14. Whoso boasteth himself... Of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Verse 16 now, if you will. I mean 15, it says, By long forbearing is a prince persuaded, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. What do we have? By long forbearance, by patience, by waiting, forbearing long, is a prince persuaded. If you have a good cause, don't be so quick to get an answer. From the prince, but be long forbearing. And then, and, and a soft tongue breaketh the bone. In other words, softness and quietness. Here's quiet persistence. Here's persistence, but it's with quietness. It's with calmness. It means just keeping, keeping on doing the right thing, saying the right thing, until finally the request is answered in the right way. You have to have patience. Some people come in. Like a bull in a china closet, you know, and they figure they're going to get what they want, do what they want to do, regardless of anyone else. Take a little patience to receive the reward, and things will happen. And that's what we need to practice. Look in verse um, 16. Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for thee. Look at that. Eat so much as sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled therewith and vomit it. What does it say? Excess of eating honey. Eating too much honey. The sweetness will make you sick. Eat the right amount of it and it's good. Honey is good, isn't it? But if you eat too much of it, you'll be filled therewith and vomited. In verse 17, it says, Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house. Look at this. Lest he weary of thee and so hate thee. By the way, these two verses could be joined together. First one, knowing when to stop, and this knowing when to go. Knowing when to stop. Stop eating honey before it makes you sick, and know when to leave your neighbor's house, lest you make him not want you to come anymore. In other words, there's a time to go and visit your neighbor, and there's a time to leave his house. I have a little thing down on my wall that says uh, uh, something about, if I could get it, I wish I could recall it. This house is blessed, some by... By use by people or something by friends, some coming and some going, <laughs> something like that. But you know, coming is good and you're blessed. 
And sometimes, if they've been there too long, you're blessed when they leave. And uh, all of us have been there. And uh, let's don't wear out our welcome. We are welcome. And as Christian brothers and sisters, we want to feel welcome in each other's house. But when there's, when there's a time that they have other things to do, and you may be interfering with what's going on, you need to realize that that's the case. Withdraw thy foot from thy neighbor's house, lest he be worthy. doesn't say don't go to his neighbor, your neighbor's house, does it? It doesn't say not to go. But it says withdraw it. There's a time to... So, verse 16, there's a time to quit, when to stop, knowing when, knowing when to stop and when to go, in verse 17. Look at verse 18. It says, A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow, telling lies, damages, others' reputations. And it's just like you would take a maul or a hammer or a sword or a sharp arrow and do harm to them. See what it does? If you bear false witness, you just, well, you say, well, I wouldn't hit my brother at all. Well, don't, don't hit him with words either. Don't talk about him and call, maul him and take the sword and what else, the arrow, and shoot at him. Because the literal ones, it'd be no different. If you did that to him physically, if you took a maul, if you took a sword or, a, or an arrow and shot him through, you'd be doing him harm. And so would you be doing him harm if you bear false witness against him. It says, is as a maul and a sword and a sharp arrow. Verse 19, it says, confidence in an unfaithful man, look at this, in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Look at this. In other words, you're like a lame man or a tooth that's out of joint. Feet are good and teeth are good. But listen, if you have confidence in an unfaithful man, he is in no condition to help you any, and your confidence is misplaced. Do not misplace your confidence. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble. Who are you going to go to in time of trouble? An unfaithful man? Not me. I'm going to a faithful man when I have a problem. And if we want a real faithful one, who is faithful? God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. God is the faithful one that we're really to turn to. And He has faithful children too. There are some of God's children that are faithful. I don't want to get off on the message and everything for tomorrow, but I do want to mention the fact that I can remember Odie. Some of you won't mind me telling this, but I can remember Odie in times gone by when this church had very few dollars to even pay the light bill or the gas bill or the bond payment or whatever. And she had worked down to her house. Somebody had come in there and she'd fix their hair and maybe get $3 or $5. And I mean given a whole perm. And she'd bring, a, she'd bring the whole thing, put it in a little envelope and give it to the church. I'm telling you, people like that, that's faithfulness, isn't it? And that's giving it all. And, and she didn't have it. She could have used that money easier than anyone else. But she would do it. So I, I, I appreciate people that are faithful. But you put confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble. And it's like this. A broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Verse 20. As he that taketh away a garment in cold weather, and, and as vinegar upon nitre, so is he that singeth songs to an heavy heart. You go sing a song. 
but you've taken away all the necessities of a man's life and then you try to sing him a song to comfort him. That's a lack of, that's a lack of sympathy, isn't it? So, you know, you take away everything, you have the bitterness. As he that taketh away a garment and cold well, you took his coat and you sing him a song. Say, I'll, I'll wear the coat and I'm warm now. You know, start singing a song to try to comfort him. Not, it doesn't work very good that way. Verse uh, 21 says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to eat. And we're talking about an enemy now. For thou shalt, for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. You might be softening his heart by your good action, even if he's your enemy. When you And there's something else to be said about the coals of fire. There's an old... Uh, situation that others use to represent exactly what we're doing here, but I don't have enough time to explain all the coals of fire business that's connected with it. But, you know, a heart can be softened by kindness, and that's what we ought to use as kindness for for uh, even our enemy. And this is the best revenge. If you say, well, you're going to get even, the best thing you can do is just give him something and help him. Verse 23, The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. The chill wind of slander. The north wind driveth away rain, and so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Verse 24. It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. I don't think I'll elaborate on that one too much. I think all of us get the picture. There's some sweet women, there's some nice ladies, there are those that are kind and considerate. And personally, my wife is the sweetest wife I could have had in this whole world. She never has done me any harm, she's always tried to help and contributing to things that uh, people don't even know about. Just like, well, for example, we get a little outline for our funeral message for tomorrow. I need five copies. Last night in the middle of the night, I put down what I want. She gets up and types them up and makes five copies for me. I mean, types them out, no copy or anything. And, you know, for our outline of services and stuff like that. And a preacher couldn't get along without a good wife. And you can't, as a husband, you can't get along without a good wife. But there are some that are not good, too. We have to realize there are some husbands are not good, as well as there are some wives. And it says it's better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than in, with a brawling woman and in a wide house. So be kind and loving, husbands and wives. I said I wasn't going to comment on that verse. <laughs> verse 25. I don't always do what I say, do I? <laughs> verse 25. As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Look, this is good as cold waters to a thirsty soul. The good news, the spreading of good news is good. And the good news from a far country is good. Look at verse 26. It says, A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. You can see in this verse the poison of compromise. When you compromise your convictions. A righteous man falling down before the wicked. What is it's like a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. It's like a spring that's poisonous. And the compromise is poisonous. Compromising with the wicked is poisonous. 
And then verse 27. It is not good to eat too much honey. For, for, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Too much of a good thing. For men to search their own glory is not good. And seek their own glory. And then in verse 28, it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Here's the spirit's rule is talked about. How do you rule your spirit? How do you have temperance or self-control? We preached a bit on it this morning in our message that we're to add to our virtues. And one of them was something that involved this. So here's spirit rule. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. No protection. Here's a lack of self-control. You know, if there's one thing that we need to learn in the midst of all that we do as Christians, it is to have control of your own self. Self-control. Don't always become angry or agitated or overwrought about things. You know, it will all work out in God's own time. If you have frustrations and if you have anxieties and if you have things that are bothering you, don't let it make you angry. Don't ever hit your fist against the wall. Don't ever start striking out at some object that can't strike back at you. Because after all, you hit something like that, it didn't. you're not going to harm it, you're going to harm yourself, aren't you? And just don't fly off the handle, as we say, and learn how to control your temper. And you say, well, preacher, that's good advice, but can you do it? Well, I'm not bragging about it, but the Lord has given me a little bit of grace in that direction. And I do become agitated like everyone else, but I do have a little bit of help that way. So let's seek God's help in the matter. Thank you for your patience and kind attention. We'll be standing and be dismissed.